African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us on our DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet or online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be looking at our final uh, uh, kind of pre post uh, analysis of uh, the elections uh, that uh, took place last week in South Africa. We're going to be trying to analyze uh, the low voter turnout. South Africa's national and provincial election last week saw what has uh, been now seen as its lowest uh, voter turnout in the history of the country. Only 65.99% of voters turned up at voting stations, which saw uh, the victory of uh, the African National Congress, which won with 230 seats. Historically, the voting turnout uh, has uh, fluctuated with the first record being in the 1999 where there was an outstanding turnout of 89.3%. However, in the years, uh, the voter turnout in the national and provincial elections in the country has fluctuated to the 70% mark. So for the first time in the history of the country, it is the first time that the national voter turnout sits at uh, the amount of 60%. Today, to assist us on this, we have Elnari Potrita, who is a project leader at the South Africa Reconciliation Barometer at uh, the Institute uh, for... Um, uh, I'm going to come back to that. Uh, we also have Ipsos Director and Political Analyst Mary Harris and Gabriel Krauss at the Associate, uh, who's an associate at the Institute for Race Relations. Let me start with uh, Marie Harris on this particular issue in terms of uh, the IEC's data has been showing that the voter turnout in its fullness is at this year at 65.99%. Um, Marie, tell us a little bit, do we know the contributing factors around this low percentage? Benjamin, I think we do. If we look at pre-election surveys, the uncertainty was really very, very high. And about um, more than a third of voters said that there's not really a political party that they associate with. So there was this already this feeling of alienation with the political parties. Already they were, well, if you look at all 48 parties, people didn't find somebody to vote for in the 48 parties. That shows you that the identification with parties is very low. It's the one side. And on the other side, with the more established parties, the ANC, the DA, and the EFF, there was very low trust in political parties and in political leaders, people actually expressed this very low trust that they had in, in uh, political parties and leaders. And, um, well, uh, if we look at the, the findings, there, the ANC was slightly more trusted than the DA and the EFF. And all these factors together, I think, made these elections very difficult to predict. 
Okay, let me come to Elnari Potrita, project leader for the South Africa Reconciliation Barometer at the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. Elnari, uh, we heard there from Marie highlighting the fact that it seems like a lot of voters didn't have a lot of trust in the political parties themselves. Uh, what are your thoughts of that particular issue? Because that's a, a worrying factor. Yeah, um, so our data shows um, that especially non-partisanship is notable among like younger um, people or younger than 35 years, especially the Afro-Brahmin that is also part of our team's work. Um, and that's quite something interesting because you, our youth registration is low, and as we know, South Africa has a youth bulge. Um, and so from 35 onwards, we see a higher registration and turnout, uh, turnout rate, but there's definitely something around that youth registration and non-partisanship. And at the same time, what we see in terms of political efficacy, so the faith and trust in government and the belief that they as citizens can understand and influence political affairs, we see definitely that there are some concerns especially in terms of voting efficacy, so the idea that voting can influence political affairs, and also this idea that um, not necessarily not understanding um, the political system, but definitely around accountability around the political system. And this is something we see with the reconciliation barometers data. So there's also something around democratic political culture that aligns with this questions around trust in institutions and political parties. Elaborate on that because I think that needs a little bit of clarity. Does that mean that people are using their issue of not participating as a, a kind of a, a political a bargaining tool? Mm-hmm. So see, there's many different things that you can look at to understand political participation. The one is whether people can participate, so that's uh, time, resources, whether they have education to participate. Another element is whether they want to, so that's whether they have the political socialization and also whether they're interested in politics. And another element is whether they've been asked to, what have they been asked to do. And that's very much either peer or um, are we reaching out to people in a way that um, helps them participate and make them understand how their participation contributes. This doesn't mean, doesn't mean people are politically apathetic. Um, it just means we have to ask a question around voting apathy and how people um, feel they can and want to and whether they're asked to participate. Mm, let me bring in uh, Gabriel Krauss, associate at the Institute of Race Relations. Very interesting thoughts coming there from Elna and also Marie there. Uh, Gabriel, what are your thoughts just to get maybe maybe you have a different issue in terms of what could have contributed to this low voter turnout? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, first off, I just want to say that uh, if you look at it another way, things are actually even worse than you first said because while 65% of voters voted in one sense, that's 65% of registered voters. Mm. Then there's the other reg- unregistered voters. More than half of all South Africans who are eligible to vote, who are citizens, who are over 18, mentally competent, did not vote in this election. And that is an extreme contrast with the previous elections. The last highest was 43% of South Africans didn't vote. Before that, 42, 41, low 30s. And in 1994, it was, there was huge voter turnout. Um, so with more than half of South Africans not voting in this election, I think you're asking the right question, why are people so apathetic? And I think that uh, partly this has to be answered in this kind of broad way, but then also you have to look at particular parties. The ANC um, is in trouble um, on a variety of uh, levels. One of the things that we picked up, that I picked up on from Mark Data polling that was done in 2017, 
in the build-up to the uh, NASRIC election, the battle between CR17 and NDZ, found that uh, CR17 camp was getting sort of 70% of support amongst the ANC base, whereas NDZ was only getting 17% of the support. And yet, when you look at the delegate count uh, at that election, uh, CR17 won by 1%. It was 51 against 49%. So I think a lot of ANC voters feel like their party is not doing a great job of putting the right people in leadership positions that they want. The right move was made for them, of course, with Sora Ramaphosa getting to lead the party. And there's been a lot of coverage about how even if you think the ANC has been letting you down mm. for the last 10 years, at least Cyril's in there with a the big broom. But we all know that there are various members of the National Executive Council and of the ANC upper structures that are, that are sort of flagrantly corrupt, that don't seem to have had the people's interest at heart. And I think a lot of people feel very loyal to the ANC, uh, so they don't want to vote against it. But at the same time, they see that the ANC hasn't really reformed itself mm. yet. And so they don't want to vote for it, and so they end up mm. staying away from the polls. And um, I, think that's, uh, I think that's a problem. I think the only way for the ANC to address it is by reforming its own party structure. It's not enough to talk about uh, one or two people sort of uh, being highlighted in commissions. The entire way, the apparatus whereby delegates get to choose, the small number of delegates, 4,000 delegates get to choose basically who's going to be the next president and who's going to be in cabinet. It's sort of like 1% of 1% of 1% mm. of the country is really deciding uh, these very important things rather than uh, leaving it in the hands of the people. And I so, so I think the ANC is going to have to look at that. One way out would be for it to um, open its primary system so that voters can directly decide who they want to be the head of the NEC, who they want to be the president of the party, who they want to be deputy president of the party. So there'd be more competition, it'd be more transparent. And people would feel like they're really being heard. Sure. In other countries where there's low voter turnout, when you start opening up the primary systems, people feel like they're participating more, mm -hmm. they feel like they're more invested because they are more invested, and then when it comes to election time, they're more likely to be active, to campaign at a mm -hmm. grassroots level, to get people out, to say, hey, you know, to friends and family, let's go vote for this guy, I voted for this, this woman, I voted for him in the primary, he won, and now I want him to win the presidency. I think, that, uh, I think that's a concrete kind of change that could be made that would reverse the trend, but if nothing is done, the trend is uh, precipitous. It's, it's, it's an extremely fast drop-off and it's a concern for us all. So I want to take that back to Marie because I think it's very interesting because what you're saying there, it's saying kind of alluding to the fact that the African National Congress and the voters' eyes could be seen as the absolute choice, but that says something negative in regard to um, opposition politics that people don't think they should go to the voting polls and they have an option in that regard, Marie. Yes, there's really a huge difference, as Gabriel has alluded to, between the people who were the delegates at the NASREC conference at the end of 2017 and the rank and file um, ANC supporters all over the country. If you look at those two groups separately, it's almost like chalk and cheese. And um, among the ranking file people, Sura is extremely popular. And also the ideas that he has are extremely popular. And I think the same plays out for the other political parties, though not in such a big way. Uh, we are, for instance, seeing that... Um, talking about leadership of the Democratic Alliance, that the Democratic Alliance uh, supporters um, are split 
between whether they think there are leadership issues within the party or not. So if your own supporters are saying, or half of your own supporters are saying, look, there's leadership issues in this party, I think you need to give attention to that. That's really a big issue. And then if we look at the um, the EFF, a lot of people who vote with EFF might have um, said that they, they are not... Um, fully supportive of radical policies, of the dis- disruption of mm. parliament that happened quite a lot of times mm. during the Zuma era and so on. So, you know, I think there's a disconnect, definitely, between political parties, the current leadership or current perceived leadership in a lot of instances, and the voters on the ground. I'm going to take a quick break. I want to get El Nari's uh, thoughts on that particular issue, especially on what Gabriel has introduced into this program in regard to also the voting system in itself, especially the election of uh, leaders within um, the voting system, even in uh, political parties framework. But we'll look at that after this break. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, we are SABC's external service into uh, Sub-Saharan Africa or the international community, and we look at things from the lens of the African continent. You with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue, where we look at the big issues on the African continent. Today, we're looking at the low voter turnout in last week's election in South Africa, and uh, we've got uh, amazing guests to really look at uh, unpacking that particular issue and what would be the reasons of that uh, 65.9% of voters but just as was highlighted by uh, Gabriel Krauss from the Institute of Race Relations was the fact that uh, this only considers the 65.99% to those who have registered it doesn't actually look at the entire uh, population of the country but Elnari just before we went uh, uh, to that break very interesting insight coming from Marie and Gabriel there, especially around leadership compositions within political parties and how they may influence voters' turnout. What are your thoughts on that? It's really interesting. I think um, especially because parties are essentially private structures that have their own or should have their own internal accountability structures um, in place. And they exist because they wanted to be vote they want to be voted into um, positions where they will um, be governing um, <clears throat> or at least have some role mm. in terms of governance. Mm. 
And then at that point, you have both a responsibility to your voters, so those that voted you into that position, but also broader society. And I think given that we have voting cycles, um, uh, not being overly sympathetic, um, because you do put yourself out there to be in power, but you, have, you often have to balance this too, where you have to think about your responsibility to those that voted for you and are your voters, and then also thinking about the, the responsibility that you have to the broader society. Um, and then what is interesting for me in, in that regard is that even though we are, these are basically vehicles for democracy, um, but we perhaps have to ask ourselves questions about the internal accountability within parties, and then also transparency, er, transparency around the internal dynamics of parties. Um, mm. I think there's a lot of things written about our system. I think the Vansel Flabbert uh, report is quite, quite well known in terms of looking at our um, how we go about our um, voting and our elections and um, there's been a lot, um, uh, basically a proposal of a mixed system that will ensure that MPs can be elected on party plat platforms but from multi-member constituencies. Um, so there is um, thinking around that, but I think on the other hand we do have reasons why we have the current system in place and we kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of, of thinking around that. Mm. Um, I think where we can have a conversation and we should have conversations is towards the internal accountability of political parties and in addition to conversation around systems and structures. Let me bring that to you, Gabriel, because that's a very interesting thought that's coming there from El Nari because if we do actually find ourselves re-looking really at the system of how we, we vote, especially if we as ordinary citizens have a stake in also choosing um, the composition of leadership within political parties, will that not make the whole system complex? And I'm asking in this regard of, yeah. in terms of what Al Nari just responded to. Yeah, I do think that it introduces a level of complexity um, but I think that uh, democracy is messy and it's, and, it's, and it's best when they're the most voices getting the, the best opportunities to make themselves heard clearly. I think another sort of indication that we've um, missed something very important in this election cycle is the fact that there were no debates between major pre presidential candidates. Sure, sure. So you didn't have Musi Maimani and Cyril Ramaphosa having a debate with each other. And likewise, within the parties, there's no debates uh, amongst party leaders who sort of are saying, you should support me because I want to pull the party a little bit more in that direction or, or I want you to support me because I'm going to pull it a little bit more in that direction. Um, there, was a, there was a sort of a funny thing that happened on Power FM, uh, a local radio station in South Africa, uh, during the NASREC competition in 2017, where they had 10 quotes from speeches made by Cyril Ramaphosa and, of course, Zana Tamini Zuma and they asked the listeners to guess which quotes came from which leader, mm. and the listeners got them all wrong. <laughs> now, this is not because the listeners didn't have a very clear sense that Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma was for more radical economic transformation, whereas Cyril Ramaphosa was for a more business-friendly approach and more accountability and more anti-corruption. They all sort of knew where the candidates stood, but when the candidates go and make speeches rather than debate one another, they can say all things to all people. Mm. They, can, they, can, uh, they, can say, they can say we need to go more left and they can say we need to go more right. And, uh, and they don't really hold each other to account in this very public way to do with policy. And the same thing happens uh, across parties with the DA and the ANC and the EFF having a lot of policy points 
that seem very similar. Mm. At other times, they want to make themselves seem as if they're completely different. But unless you have that one-on-one debate that everyone gets to watch where one politician can say to another politician, look, you're saying you want to do this, but the other day you said you wanted to do that. Where do you really stand? Without that, politicians aren't forced to really stand for something. Mm. They can kind of try and stand for everything. And then you get a little bit of... uh, it's simpler that way because then you end up choosing between personalities and between legacies and brands that you feel loyal to in terms of political parties. Um, it does introduce complexity for, for people to be forced to kind of hold a position and try and justify that position and try and persuade people to understand why they think their vision for South Africa is going to serve, serve us all. But I think that complexity should be welcomed. And I think that, uh, you know, if you look at 1994, that's the last time there was a proper debate. Mm. a proper presidential debate between F.W. de Klerk and Nelson Mandela. And it, it, it sort of, I watched it the other day and it broke my heart because they were two men who really cared about the country, who really disagreed with each other about a lot of points, mm. and they really argued in a very civilized way with one another. There was a lot of persuading going on and it was open and it was democratic. And that was at a time when South Africa was at its most vulnerable, mm. uh, was, was, was at its most afraid, was at its most potentially divisive. And now, 25 years later, we can't even do it again. And I think that's disappointing, and I think that needs to change going forward if we're going to have policy accountability on top of, of course, the corruption accountability that I think the previous speaker was talking to. Okay, let me come to you, Marie. I also think, sorry, can I just quickly react to that? I also think some leaders feel very exposed if they have to debate in public. And if we just think about the Zuma years, it was impossible to have a uh, open debate and uh, one-on-one debates with President Zuma. So, and, you know, it, it depends on the party leaders as well. And then the leaders, a lot of times... Is it not because, Marie, there's, there's more to lose right now in terms when you look at the reputation of the African National Congress? Maybe that's Absolutely. why the president wouldn't come out to defend uh, some of the issues that relate to corruption and areas of state, yeah. cor- state capture. Absolutely, but it also led in this election to the fact that we had, in a lot of cases, very negative campaigning. So in the end, a lot of people knew what the parties didn't want, but they didn't always know what the parties wanted. So that was one of the big um, issues brought up by voters before the election, saying, what do these parties really stand for? I know what they don't like. I know what they don't want. But, and I also know who I am not going to vote for. A lot of people in the queues last Wednesday said, I know who I'm not going to vote for. Mm. But I'm not exactly sure who I, I am going to vote for. And I'll never make the point earlier about young people not racist registering before the election. You know, they made that decision not to register a long time ago. They disenfranchised themselves. So I think we really need to look at this and, you know, get behind um, the the two reasons for this. Obviously, it is an international phenomenon Mm -hmm. that young people uh, participate less in political activities. But why? Mm. And have they lost their sense of history? Have they lost their sense of belonging? We really have to look for these things. I also don't think the political parties really made a real um, ploy for the young people. They didn't campaign for young people. They didn't talk about, I mean, in the manifesto, there was lots of things about job creation and whatever else. But it didn't come out in the actual political rallies and in the actual engagement with voters. Mm.
I want to stay with you, Marie, on that particular point uh, because I want us to elaborate on El- what Elnari was highlighting, especially on political voting systems. Because I think in the history of our country, just as was alluded to by Gabriel in his example of that debate of uh, de Klerk and uh, Mandela, Mandela, it's interesting that we've had a history of uh, personas in our uh, politics, whereby you do have a definite leader coming to the forefront of a political system. And the history of that has actually influenced the manner in which the electorate votes and how they actually go to the polling station, what they decide when they get there. But our voting system doesn't create doesn't enable us to choose for a person it enables us to choose for a party. And that's why many people were actually talking around the issue of Cyril Ramaphosa was the reason why, um, and that was a huge debate this past weekend with the Sunday Times newspaper in terms of saying that Cyril Ramaphosa was the reason behind uh, the win. So why does not our electoral system accommodate that historical reality that our uh, electoral system has always incorporated? Because if we were voting for a party, we didn't need uh, the face of uh, the, the president of the party on uh, their posters, voting posters on the streets, for instance. I think we can never really um, take the party and the personalities apart. The personality stands for the party, and we've seen a few times in our history that the personalities are more important, or the leadership are um, giving more attention and are more seen more favorably than the party. And that was the case in the Nelson Mandela era. Nelson Mandela was far more viewed favorably than what the ANC was. It's the same with Cyril Ramaphosa. He gets a lot more um, attention and points and, you know, appreciation from the general public than, for instance, Jacob Zuma did. And to a large degree, if we go back and we analyze all these things, there were 10 lost years. We can almost argue about 10 lost years of the Zuma era. But you are quite right. There is nothing in our political system that says we vote for political leaders. Yet we do. In our minds, we do. <laughs> but um, if we look at the Pantel Slabot report, and um, I was part of writing that that report, that Pantel Slabot report, um, we did look at the leadership issues. And one of the most important things that we thought was lacking in our current political system is the fact of responsibility for an area or for a group of people. So in the end, we proposed a combined system between the normal um, proportional representation that we have currently, straight proportional representation, and a system of um, constituencies. So a combined system, a little bit like they have in Germany at the at this time, not like the British system where the winner takes all. Um, that was, I think, the people who wrote the constitution and um, the electoral act and all those things in, in 1993, 1994, 1996, were very, very careful not to um, let one party uh, go ahead and take all the constituencies. If we had a constituency voting system, I think, in 1994, the ANC would have taken all constituencies in the country. And for that stage, it wasn't appropriate. 
because there were so many minorities, so many groups, so many anxieties of people. So I still think it's probably not the answer for South Africa to have a plain Westminster constituency system, mm. but a combination and a hybrid system perhaps where we can keep politicians accountable mm. for a particular area or for a particular group of people in, a, in an area will work very, very well in this country. Well, let me take a quick break and I'll come to you. I want you to speak on that and also I want us to also not just sideline this big issue that has been cited by both uh, Elmarie and Marie there on the issue of uh, the youth vote and why we are seeing deficits in that regard. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. 24 minutes uh, to 12 o'clock Central African time. You with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday we elaborate on the big issues of the African continent. Thank you for joining us on DSTV channel on uh, uh, 802. And if uh, you are joining us online, we're on www.channelafrica.co.za. But let me continue this discussion that we're having right now. Elnari, just before we move on to elaborating on this issue of youth uh, voting um, what are your thoughts on some of these uh, thoughts that came from Gabriel and Marie on the voting system itself and the fact that uh, p- uh, personality politics for a long time in South Africa have taken a center stage in our voting system mm-hmm. I think um, I think I agree with the idea about thinking around accountability um, and how accountability um, can be brought in um, to to when people are in certain positions, um, even though we have certain structures in place, but also when people take up certain responsibilities. And with that responsibility that you take up, you 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 need to have a certain um, accountability for that what you've signed up for. Um, I I think there's been a lot of conversation and a lot of reports and a lot of research around. Uh, combination or mixed or hybrid systems, um, but but again, I think the and I come back to the point I made earlier that there also needs to be a conversation around the the internal party structures and how we have a conversation around that because in the end of the day, the people that um, the the personalities that we see also form part of uh, a party structure um, <clears throat> and they uh, for also form part of a party culture. Um, and um, so there's definitely, I think, scope for 
for thinking around accountability in many different spaces within our uh, election mm. and voting system. Anari, staying with you, uh, let's talk about the youth vote and why young people are not coming out to vote. I have an example of my own little sister who's very idealistically very motivated in terms of why she doesn't want to participate. She has kind of a very indifference to politicians. She doesn't see them as making a change. She thinks she's an agent of change herself. Uh, she's she's much involved in the autism space with children in the community and she started projects in our township community in Tembisa. So she feels like she's the agent of change and she doesn't need to uh, be involved in a political system herself. And I've heard this from a lot of young people whereby they might not feel like they agents themselves, but they're very indifferent uh, to uh, the political space. I think what is important here is that we understand that being apathetic about voting doesn't mean people are politically apathetic. Sure. Um, because there are many different ways that we can participate in, in the political space, both formally and informally, uh, whether that is through contacting your MP or your local councillor, whether that is lobbying for something, whether that is signing a petition, whether that's like your sister, um, forming part of perhaps more of an issue that they feel um, is important for them. Um, but I think what is important here is that uh, I mentioned earlier there's quite a notable non-partisanship amongst younger people. So there's definitely a question about whether um, parties are speaking to um, the, the issues that young people grapple with. Um, another element I think to this is um, socioeconomic um, realities that a, long, a lot of young people um, grapple with. And, and this comes back to my earlier point about uh, political participation and asking ourselves whether people can, whether they want to, and whether they've been asked to participate. And, and perhaps also asking ourselves what are young people asking each other to participate in responsibility and whether they see in all participating in a certain Mm. Gabriel, your thoughts there on this voter participation issue because I remember it was a big yeah. story even to the lead up to the elections and uh, the media really uh, grabbed this and tried to dissect mm. it co collectively in various platforms and most mm. of the issues were, were shown whereby people were going to media houses were going to um, uh, townships and rural areas and there was an indifference from the young people in those communities kind of not seeing change from their own viewpoint it's a different viewpoint from their previous generation definitely i don't think the first thing they think of is a road that wasn't there uh 30 years ago that's they think differently to that yeah no i think you're right i think that uh, if, if i'm 29 years old when i was 13 i started high school when i was 18 i finished high school and in those five years the gdp of south africa basically doubled we had uh, pretty strong growth, employment was starting to shrink, uh, income uh, differences between races were starting to reduce. Um, and then in the last 10 years, described earlier by Maria as the, as the sort of lost decade of Zuma, um, the economy basically stagnated in real terms, it shrank, um, and a lot of people have, have really uh, had a very, very tough time. And throughout, there was really a lot of promises made by politicians to say, you know, things are going to get better. The, 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 the good stuff is just around the corner. And I think the, the proof of those empty promises mm. does leave a very bitter taste in the mouths of young people, mm. um, more than half of whom are unemployed, more than half of young people uh, under the age of 30 weren't even registered to vote. 
so that's part of the reason that the media picked up on that low participation fact before the election, because mm-hmm. even regardless of the registered uh, low turnout, just in terms of non-registration, it's more than half of young people didn't register. And I think that they've got a bit mm-hmm. of tape in their mouth because of low economic performance. I think there's another factor which was less well explored, mm-hmm. but probably which matters too, and connects to the story about personalities versus policy. I think in South Africa we've got a tendency, because of the persona uh, legacy that we have here, mm. to speak about individuals. Mm. And then if things are going wrong, it's easy to then say, the problem is that this individual is a bad person. This individual wants bad things to happen. And of course, in, 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 in reality, people with very good intentions can have uh, wrong head. I don't know if we've lost Gabriel there. Gabriel is still there. Oh, I, th- I think I lost Gabriel there. Um, let me wrap it up with you since we only left with uh, three minutes uh, um, now, Marie. Uh, let me wrap the conversation up with you. Are you still there, Marie? I am, yeah. yeah let, let's look at that particular point and just extend it to a certain extent because even in the this past few four years we've seen a lot of youth participation in a different protest in a different process which is protests and uh, it's interesting to see that that chasm between the two that young people are willing to participate in protests but not willing to participate in the voting system and that's very alarming that are people starting to more trust process outside of the 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 more f- formal governance spaces Benjamin, yes it is it is worrying but um it is because a lot of people and especially young people see political protests and boycotts and things like that as a legitimate way of political participation. And it is a legitimate way of political participation. They also feel that they get reaction when they protest because the media is there, they listen, they broadcast. The uh, political parties are interested, they listen to them. But a lot of people feel that if they vote once every five years, the politicians don't listen anyway. They just go on their merry way and they are not really interested in the issues of of voters because they come along every five years and then they leave again and nothing happens. And um, that feature is really... um, declining or opening a, a black mark against the value of our votes um, is that people see our vote doesn't make a difference, but other things make a difference. And people want to see change. They want to see things going forward. They don't want to be forever left behind. Um, I think we definitely, if we think about it, that in two years' time we'll have another election, the local government elections. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. our local governments are the worst performing level of government in the country. Mm. We definitely need to do something in the next two years to almost restore the Mm. value of the vote 
in mm. this country. Well, thank you so much, Marie, for giving us your time. That's Marie Harris, who is Ipsos uh, director and also political analyst. Thank you as well to Elnari Potkiter, who is the project leader for the South Africa Reconciliation Barometer at the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. I also want to thank Gabriel Kraus. I think we lost him there, but I'll try to thank him even off air. He's an associate at the Institute of Race Relations. Thank you all for giving us your time. It was a wealth of information, so we appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Okay, thank, thank you. you.